Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Complimentary Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie Langerman, joined as always by Anthony Hobday. Anthony, how's it going this week? It's going quite well. We um, It's been an interesting day today because we the company I worked for launched on Product Hunt for the first time. Oh, that was today? Yeah. And uh, you never know how that sort of thing is going to go because when you're inside the company, you don't know you don't really know how people will respond to the idea behind the company from outside mm-hmm. the company. So that's always a curious one. I think it's partly, it's sort of the um, that rule about uh, consultants where you hire consultants because you're more willing to listen to an outside perspective than you are an internal one. So I think if you're working for a company, you sort of see all the flaws and you yep. could never possibly respect it as much as someone outside the company who just sees the product, you know, the, the parts that they need to see. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, but it went well. That's cool. I, I've been following along with your, you've been tweeting kind of about the process, going through the process of mm. making your marketing images and getting ready for the launch. So that's exciting that it's finally here. There's also this website called Product Wars 2. Which what is, is that? Basically a copy of a, another website called Product Wars. I guess the one, one. is silent. <laughs> yeah, because they didn't expect a two to come along. But it's it basically a up to the minute statistics about who's winning at product hunt that day and wow. so it's kind of addictive because you can go and look and you can see all of the people or all, all of the companies who launched that day and you can see their current number of upvotes but also how many comments they're getting per hour and how many upvotes they're getting per hour and then it draws these graphs where it basically predicts who's going to win product of the day because it extrapolates out from your rate of comments or rate of upvotes and so that's really interesting because you can go and look at it and be like okay we're doing quite well in terms of our velocity. So are we yeah. going to overtake this company and so on and so forth? That's super fun. I hope it goes well. Yeah, it seems Maybe to be. Maybe you'll win. <laughs> mm. uh, how are you doing this week? I'm good. Um, I feel like all of my updates are just going to be about my ankle <laughs> and ability to walk. <laughs> Not work-related, but this week I started walking with no crutches, which is super wow. cool. Huge life-changing moment because I can carry lots of things um yeah I don't have to like know where my crutches are at all times I kept kind of forgetting them and realizing like oh I guess I don't need them I can just get around I'm still hobbling but you know it's it's improving every week so that's Mm, my there's nothing wrong with a good hobble I think hobbling is quite (laughs) endearing you know the problem is I think I could easily get used to hobbling and then not actually like fix my walking. So that's why I have physical therapy where mm. he forces me to walk more slowly and intentionally. But Probably a good thing. It is a good thing. Yeah. So very cool, exciting ankle updates. You'll get biweekly ankle updates now. Yeah. And I have to say, I think you should focus on making your ankle work good before you focus on making your walking look good. Oh my gosh, what a transition <laughs> that is into today's topic. I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so today, well, we put out a call for some questions, um, about topics that our listeners might want to hear us discuss. And we got one from Adam Silver, who is the author of Form Design Patterns, which is one of my favorite design books. I would call it a design book. I guess it's pretty technical too. Um, but I think everyone should read that book. So cool to see Adam Silver popping in with a question. But he asks, 
How do you convince visual designers to trade, in quotes, looks pretty for works good? And I, I think I'm going to say he's asking this question in kind of a cheeky way to make it more entertaining and fun to discuss um, mm. because I'm not sure you would like come at a designer so aggressively and be like, this just looks pretty and doesn't work well. Um, but it does spark kind of interesting conversation, at least. It, it sparks like an emotional reaction for me reading that, at least. So I think it'll be fun yeah. to talk about today. I, I wonder partly if it's especially a problem for designers who work on forms a lot, because there are so many good, I was about to say well understood. I guess that's the reason that he's written the book. So they're not necessarily well understood, but they should be, and they can be well understood. Uh, yep. There are good, well understood usability guidelines for designing forms, and you can buy a book and basically learn how to become a form design expert if you follow the steps in the book, uh, which is one of the things I did. I, I think the one I bought was um, at the start of my career was... Uh, uh, the guy who used to work at Google and uh, Luke Robluski, and I ho hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, his last name, but um, I think he wrote a book about form design that was one of the most recommended oh. you know, nearly 10 years ago at this point. But yeah, so there have probably been some advancements since then, especially in how you sort of code these things in HTML and CSS. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, there are these standard rules you can learn. And so I, I imagine people who just want to make things look good are especially a terror in form design <laughs> i'm sure and like so so much of the internet is just forms in one way or mm. another like even if it doesn't look like a form it probably is behaving like a form in some way so it's just helpful to understand the mechanics of how forms work and the semantics of them and that book is literally just mm. a reference book to some degree like i always reference it whenever someone's asking about semantics for forms just open up something I bookmarked, be like, here's the guide. Here's how we should do it. Let's just follow this guide and then we'll, you know, yeah. make it look good on top. I always love that uh, mm. possibility when it's possible that you can just say, no, here's the way. Uh, it is rare. It doesn't mean that everyone actually does it, which is yeah. a shame. It's also a good thing for people who want to write books or, you know, be experts in something. If everyone's doing it correctly, then suddenly the market doesn't exist. But, um, yeah, it's nice that there's sort of one answer for a lot of those things, or at least a couple of answers that you can consider depending on the situation. Yep. So looking at our notes, we both like keep our notes in a, in a docs where I can see what you've said, you can see what I've said, like related to this topic. I think in classic complementary style, I've gone more towards like collaborating with people, how to communicate and talk to people. <laughs> and you're more on the design side and like talking about the rules and principles so i think it'll be interesting to kind of compare notes here and but um i guess for me like like i said i had a gut reaction to this question originally we, we looked at this and we were like not sure how much conversation is there but then we started talking about it accidentally and realized okay there is like an episode in this yeah and I think, like I said, I think that he's phrasing this question in kind of a cheeky way um, for entertainment purposes. But my first reaction is like the word convince concerns me and I don't think it should be like that. Like I, I would kind of reframe it um, to think more about how you can like collaborate to achieve some middle ground versus like this is not usable 
And now I need to convince the designer that it must change to like abide by these other principles or rules that I have in mind. Mm. Yeah, it, it feels like one of the best ways to convince anyone of anything is to test it and show them the results. But if they're not willing to look at the results, or hopefully this isn't the case, but if they don't care about the results, or which is more likely the case, if you don't have the time or money or energy to test everything, especially if you're doing one screen or a form at a time for a, a I used to work on software, for example, that was nothing but forms. And so if, if we tried to test every single page, that wouldn't have worked. Hopefully some of these rules, you could basically test it once and then you can point back to that result mm-hmm. and say, but when we did that on this page, people didn't know what that even meant. So we need to do it differently here as well. Yeah. But yeah. I can imagine that's quite difficult in some some cultures and some situations. Right. So if you have the data to support your claims that you're making, obviously that makes it a lot easier to, I guess, convince the designer that um, it's not just about visual aesthetics. And it, we'll get into this later. Like it can still look good, most likely in, in most cases. It's not like it has to look bad and work well. But I don't know, something I was thinking about, like let's say you don't have data to support it and you're sort of just working off of domain knowledge, um, knowledge about accessibility or like requirements that your product, you know, your product has to abide by. I think one tactic I like to use is not necessarily like convincing the other person of that my perspective is correct, but more so helping them understand where I'm coming from and almost like getting them to choose that path and having them think it was their original idea. (laughs) to to like make that change you know so like a little bit of reverse psychology yeah so like I was thinking you know data like I said is one way to or or data as you said is one way to convince somebody but if you don't have that talk about some design stuff if you're like working with a designer maybe you're not a designer in this case it's like an engineer and and a designer um talking about making things work better and be more usable use the designer's own language to kind of communicate your point. So like one of, I think he, he he kind of followed up with like more details, like what if the text is too small or the colors don't have enough contrast? So if you're talking about contrast, um, use that word contrast. That's a designy kind of word. Use the word like hierarchy, use the language that the designer will understand about what makes a good quality design versus like, this doesn't pass WCAG 5.75, you know, some like arbitrary number of this contrast standard that's going to be not a great conversation versus like, well, if we increase the contrast, it improves the hierarchy of the design or like thinking about the design overall and how making that change might improve things. But if I'm not allowed to reference the WCAG, then why did I print off the entire thing on A4 sheets? (laughs) <laughs> and stick it all to my wall in order so i can <laughs> chat it furiously to someone. you sound really fun to work with <laughs> <laughs> i work from home so it's just me tapping it furiously while yeah. i'm talking to myself mm-hmm. no anthony that doesn't follow wcag 7.5.2 <laughs> not saying those things are not important but they don't have to lead with that like that can be your underlying cause is like we need to meet, meet this standard but think about the usability part or the design part on top of it and just communicate that way. So I think that's easier to discuss. Yeah. 
I don't know if it's because I work with reasonable people, but if I say <laughs> a word like readability, that is a universally recognized good. Like, oh, can I read this text? Yeah. Uh, I often find that no one ever questions that. They only ever question things that feel a bit more wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess it's possible to work with people who just don't respond to that. Or maybe they say something like, well, I think it is readable. Uh, because they're sort of throwing their expertise around at that point. And I should say that the way this is phrased, it sounds like maybe in that further tweet that uh, Adam wrote, it sounds like maybe there's sort of a split in the organization between people who care about the usability and people who care about the beauty. And uh, to be fair, I'd never worked in a situation like that where the people doing the uh, sort of interaction design are handing off to or working separately from the people doing the visual design. I know that they do exist. Yeah. And I especially suspect if you are an expert in form design, for example, and you go into a company, maybe as a freelancer or something, then you are sort of at the whim of the internal culture. Mm-hmm. And that's not really something I can speak to that much. Uh, yeah. Unless as the freelancer, you wanted to provide all of the visual design yourself. But then, you know, what about the company's brand guidelines or, you know, their visual language? That's uh, it, it feels, I guess my point is, it feels like this question is also a broader question about company culture and how design fits into that. And that's a much longer and much more impossible conversation to have yep. to anyone's satisfaction. Just just change the company. <laughs> Easy. Yeah, yeah, just convince the CEO to change the culture that he spent 10 years building so that people won't challenge your text readability suggestions yeah. anymore. So we can have darker text colors. <laughs> End of podcast. <laughs> Not yeah, the episode, I, I mean the entire podcast. Just Oh, that's it. That's We're the point done. to end on, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I have worked places like in my last role, we had a complete brand redesign and it came from a graphic designer, so not a product designer. So of course, none of the colors met contrast. So I could see, I mean, we're talking like specifically about contrast. This is just one tiny problem. You would definitely get pushback if you're trying to change this color system that you just paid a billion dollars for because it's not readable. Mm. But that was a couple years ago. Like, I don't know if the industry is shifting now, maybe just in my own little bubble towards like, obviously things have to have higher contrast. Um, because I think a couple of years ago, we saw a lot more like much lighter text. We all had green CTA buttons and or yellow CTA buttons <laughs> with like, you know, not enough contrast for the labels. And now it feels like what I'm seeing, at least in design systems land, is that most of us are building palettes that are accessible. So maybe this isn't the best example to like have this conversation about because it probably, I think, you, like you said, I think most people are more reasonable now about this kind of thing just because they have more knowledge of what is acceptable. Yeah, hopefully. And, and the design they're surrounded by is uh, generally more accessible. So the standards will shift slowly over time, I think. Or have been shifting over time. Uh, I want to call out the point that you said uh, it was by a graphic designer. So, of course, the colors didn't meet contrast. <laughs> There's something about graphic design education where day one they turn up. It's like, listen, if you ever put together a color combination that has good enough contrast, we'll fail you immediately. <laughs> graphic design school isn't for usable designs. It's for beautiful designs. Get out. <laughs> I mean, I studied graphic design and not once did I ever learn about contrast ratio. I mean, we learn about contrast, but not like, does your, is your poster accessible? <laughs> I don't know. Like we don't no, learn about like, web design. You can tell that the little ship is small because it's contrasted with the big ship. Behind <laughs> it, yeah. 
<laughs> so I don't know if that post because I'm referencing a specific poster there that's in graphic design books relatively often. Hmm. I don't know if that scans with anyone who's listening or or with you even, but uh, it's a famous poster that they trot out whenever the concept of contrast comes out. It's not ringing any bells for me, but I have a terrible memory of most things. Well, it's a great so. poster. I got to okay, say. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> yeah, if, if you looked up two boats graphic design poster, I think I think it, it would come pop up, up. First page. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I think p- partly my practical answer to the convincing part, because like, yeah, you're right. I didn't focus on that in my notes. Is that in some situations I don't think you can convince people. I, I think I take quite a. I like to call it a realistic view. I think it's probably quite a pessimistic view or a cynical view, but I like to take a view to that sort of thing where as long as I can emotionally detach myself from the results of the work, then I make sure that I let people know the consequences of their actions. And then I just sort of wash my hands of it. And so Mm. it's not really convincing, but I I think there's maybe some, let's say social power in the idea that you clearly state what's going to go wrong, but you're willing to go ahead with it because um, I, I think maybe that shows people that you know what you're talking about in some way or that you are serious about it. Yeah. That's it. I mean, I don't know how, you know, <laughs> it's a big part of culture at GitHub at least because we do everything inside of GitHub. So like most things are discussed on a pull request or a discussion. And so you have like this platform to state your opinion publicly mm. and have a record of it. So it's a lot easier to review someone's code and say, these are the consequences of this code. You can move forward with it. And like this result might happen, maybe state your preference of what you would prefer that they do, but you're not going to block it. You're going to approve it and let it happen. But at least your opinion is on record. We also like, this might not be, this probably isn't relevant to like a design. You're just having a discussion with a designer, but we document decisions. And in those decisions, we document consequences too. So like we can say, as a team, we've made this decision we know about this consequence, here it is. And it kind of lets mm. you like come back to it later and address it. We've had some where like I was working on something recently that addressed a consequence of a previous decision. So I get to say like, this new decision addresses this consequence mm. and here's the new path forward. Here's the new consequence. Um, so I don't know how that relates to this topic necessarily, but I guess it's sort of like a collaborative communication strategy if this is something like async if it's a big design decision and you know there's a consequence you can like make your point known without it being personal or like an uncomfortable conversation or interaction Mm. with the with the person just state your opinion and move on don't take it personally yeah, there's definitely some sort of last resort things in here that just make you feel better as a person rather than actually <laughs> helping the situation. Uh, but some practical methods that I've used in the past um, or, you know, people could use. One is that even if you can't test a form, you could try and pull people over to whatever you're designing and say, can you tell me what this means? Or, you know, I guess with things like contrast and readability, it's hard to get someone's opinion on that because they're not really looking for it. And probably mm-hmm. most people you pull over in any given software company we'll be able to read the thing. So if, if you're dealing with stress cases, that's, yeah, that's a hard one to convince people of. Um, one thing I noticed with uh, the company I work for where we redesigned, we did like a big visual redesign of the app. We didn't change any layout, but we changed the colors and the contrast and everything, the, the overall visual style. And uh, the redesign started a lot more high contrast than it ended up. And so there were hmm. like 
thicker or visually heavier outlines around things. And that was partly because we were going for a more striking appearance. Uh, but actually, the, the extra contra contrast had a usability problem in that you get all these lines everywhere that sort of stood out, and they shouldn't stand out compared to things like the text. And so we ended up pulling it back a bit over time. And I was happy to do that because I, I saw the problem was real. But um, that makes me think that maybe one method is that basically you suggest an alternative to their design and say, this is how I'd like to see it. And maybe you go a bit overboard with things like contrast so that they can come in and say, oh, but that's too strong. Like, yeah, okay, I'm willing to pull it back. And so you pull it back a bit to where you probably would have put it in the first place. But it's like that whole anchoring thing where you give them a really high price so that they think the <laughs> price you want to get to is uh, actually reasonable. Yeah. So, so maybe you could do like an alternative design like that uh, if there's room for it. I, I've never tried that myself, so I don't know how well it would convince someone. Hmm. Trying to think if I've done this. You're sort of like, yeah, I, it's again kind of like reverse psychology, like you're giving them this blue sky, your blue sky potentially, or maybe above, like beyond your blue sky idea of what it could be just so they land somewhere in the middle because then it feels like they've still made a decision so they don't feel like they're giving up full mm. control over the path forward. Yeah, although there is a risk that it, if people see your extreme <laughs> idea that you meant to pull back from, then they think, but those are the kind of decisions that this person's making, so we probably shouldn't trust. Yeah, maybe this is not one you document. Maybe this is one you have as a conversation and you're like, here's a wild idea and just go bonkers, bananas, like crazy contrast, whatever. And then mm. they will try to meet you halfway because they don't want to upset you <laughs> or make you feel silly. Some of the, I've got another idea, which is a bit morally ambiguous. Uh, but you, you see their design, you think, oh, you say, oh, this looks great. I'll take it to the developer. And then you go to the developer and say, here's the overall design, but we, we've got some last minute changes to make. Oh, no. And you, you sit with the developer and be like, if you could just bump up the, the, the darkness <laughs> and like tech color or whatever. Mm, I'm not sure I like that idea. <laughs> no, I'm not sure anyone should like the idea. But, uh, you know, if, if you want to go completely rogue. Yeah, like, like what do you gain with that? Portion. Yeah, I don't think it's a, no, you, you don't really gain, you've lost a relationship. <laughs> you've got your contrast. I guess that's good for the end user, but I don't know. Yeah, I think some designers are willing to do anything it takes to help the end user. And so yeah. that tip was for them. Okay. You, know, you, you might get fired, burn some bridges. You might make people hate you, but a few people will be able to read it a bit better. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of people, if your company is really big, but if it's that big and they're still making those sorts of design choices that harm readability, then how did it get so big? Yeah. Something else is going on. It's probably not expected anyway. Outside of contrast, one like designy example I thought about where this happens a lot is icon buttons. And I think you actually had a, a thread recently where you were experimenting with icon only buttons and or like showing labels or just icons for something they don't quite remember like some search results um yes yeah i was i was experimenting with both truncation of text like truncation what, what's the shortest we can get it yeah and still have it be relatively meaningful and also for metadata sort of next to those search results okay i was saying if we shrink these down to the icon just to save space and then when someone sort of pays attention to it by hovering over it or whatever we expand out to show the label so, because I'm I'm not a fan of icon only anything, if I can help it. Yeah, I, truncation. But it does is, look better. 
<laughs> well, that's why it's perfect for this conversation because yeah. I think this is one of those times when it you will often get icon only buttons from designers and like from my perspective number one goal is to see if we can get a label in there instead like that's kind of where i'm coming at it for most cases to start also with truncating text that's another one that's really complicated for accessibility and it's one that we try to avoid at all costs but very very difficult to avoid um <clears throat> so i think it this is just again one going to be one of those tricky conversations with a designer who has a design full of icon only buttons when you know that's a usability problem it's not super clear what they do they're like oh it's okay we'll just add a tooltip to explain what it does okay well tooltips aren't great either <laughs> it's like not visible unless you hover over it not not available for assistive technology um and this one's i think one of the most complicated to talk about because it's like a content design problem in many cases because you're trying to communicate something. So you have to peel back many layers to figure out what it is you're trying to achieve versus just add a label or no label. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I read a sort of a case, no, not a case, like an anecdote along these lines. And I think it was from maybe the Kodak. No, there's a, I think there's a, it was from a book about interaction design and it was loads of anecdotes from interviews and someone was talking about designing the interface for a camera, I think it was. Hmm. So that's all the, detail, all the detail I can give you. But um, basically the, there was a designer and there was a, well, let's call them a visual designer and an interaction designer, but I don't know what their actual roles were. But the one of the designers came up with this icon-only approach and the other designer said basically this, like, I'm not sure it's that usable. But they were going back and forth about how it did look better and everything. And so eventually the pro label designer committed and um, because they had the chance to test it, they tested it and found that it didn't work at all. And so that's what convinced the visual designer to add the labels. I think they were quite sensible in the face of, you know, results. And so I guess that's why I brought up testing earlier is that's one of probably the best ways. If you can make the person who did only icons feel uncomfortable about their choices, then probably they'll convince themselves. Whereas I guess if you're trying to convince them of something that they don't really believe, yeah, then I, I think any designer who has that in the back of their head, like, oh, icons, I mean, labels would be good, but it's really hard to fit them in in this screen or whatever. Maybe they just need a little push to basically put the extra effort in to see how much more information they can get into the, into the interface without it looking too cluttered. Yeah. Because uh, it's worth keeping in mind that if you add too much information, then it ends up hurting usability because mm -hmm. it's you know cluttered or it's hard to glance through it's hard to understand what's going on maybe the layout gets a bit too chaotic and uh, i suspect we're especially if you've got a designer on staff i suspect we're at less risk of that happening than it being too sort of minimal uninformational mm -hmm. yeah that, that you just reminded me with that talk about uh buttons uh, icon buttons and icon labels that's a cool that one. anecdote if we could link that that would be cool because well i just selfishly want to read it so <laughs> I think it was think is it a called, book uh, sketching interaction design or interaction design by Bill is it Mogridge I think it is okay and um, it's basically I didn't think I realized this when I picked it up but it's basically a long collection of interviews and anecdotes from interaction designers hmm. where they talk through so it's not necessarily case studies but he's talking to people about their sort of experiences designing relatively interesting interactions that's cool uh, so yeah it's quite a nice insight into how people work and yep. um, a bit more practical than if you just talk about the principles, you know. Yeah. 
but you have to want to read a book full of interviews. Yeah, I agree. This is one that like is going to take some testing, but probably even if it's just internal, like you said, handing it to a couple coworkers and asking, what does this button do? What do you expect to happen here? Could give you just a little mm. bit of an idea of like, is this usable at all? And you can kind of go from there. Yeah. I mean, one thing I've used in the past, but only if you've got some sort of sort of political power over the person you're talking to is you can ask that alternatives be produced. So you can say, I'm happy that you've designed this direction, but could we also design a direction where we do have labels? So then we can show them around. And e even if you're talking to a peer, if you're saying, I'd like it, even if you take, even if you ask if you can take it yourself and be like, can I take your design, add some labels just so we can show you the alternatives around. I think it'd be quite difficult for a person to turn around and say, no, I don't want to show people <laughs> different options because that seems a bit unreasonable. It seems like they're sort of digging in. But then again, it, because of the way that uh, the tweet from uh, Adam was written, it sounds like maybe that sort of situation would be hard to pull off in some companies where you don't really have that connection or that working relationship with the people you're talking to. And it's a relatively throw it over the wall sort of uh, process. Yeah. I I feel like I've definitely, my typical strategy when reviewing design is not saying like, could you try XYZ? It's usually, have you tried XYZ? <laughs> because mm. they might have tried it and then they can be like, oh yeah, I tried it over here. Let's talk about it. Um, but it, oh, yeah. and it's just a little bit more of like a suggestion instead of an instruction. But then you do run the risk, which I've definitely experienced of someone saying, yes, I tried it and it wasn't good. And <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's like very off-putting. Um, they sort of like want to just end the conversation and not pursue it. Or they will tell you, I tried it and it just does not work. And we're, I'm not willing to dig into it again. Well, then you just have a, another communication kind of problem. So you run the risk there. Uh, we're getting on a bit. I realized that, well, I mean, this has all been lots to talk about. I realized that what I wrote down was essentially a list of principles. Yeah. Uh, so I could rattle those off. Let's get into it. They don't necessarily need much discussion, hopefully. Uh, but I guess these are things I believe based on this sort of prompt. And um, maybe this is aimed less at people who are already digging their heels in and refusing to put labels on buttons <laughs> and more at people who are potentially new to design and would like some principles to work by. Mm hmm uh, because I, I think it feels important that I say this stuff because I often talk about visual design, especially on places like Twitter, because it's something that I do believe in, but I don't believe in it at the expense of other things. So the first thing I wrote down was that usability should come before beauty. Uh, even though I think beauty is extremely important, we need a lot more of it in the world in general. Uh, I always think it's important to make the thing usable before you make it beautiful. Mm -hmm. And um, it, as I was writing this, it reminded me of a book I read about writing where they gave a suggestion that you follow your ACBs, unfortunately. It's not ABC, it's ACB. <laughs> uh, but they stand for accuracy, clarity, and brevity in writing. And so this is usually for things like microcopy, when you want it to be as short as possible, but it's, it's good for longer form text as well. But the important thing there is the order in that you should make sure it's accurate first, and then you should make sure it's clear about what it means and what it's saying. And then only finally, the last point, you should make it brief. That's why a lot of the problems we have with uh, beauty over usability is that people are trying to make things sort of visually brief. They make it minimal or they make it quite low contrast. They get rid of the labels and everything because they want it to be clean. And mm -hmm. an easy way to make something feel clean is to get rid of everything that's helpful. And so I, I like that order, that sense of order in terms of make it usable and then make it beautiful. And you've got to make sure during that second phase that you're not 
pulling back from the usability. Right. Uh, I think this is also a point I made at the end of one of our first episodes, is that no matter how usable you make something, there's always going to be a way to make it look better afterwards. And so even the most accessible, usable, sort of practically designed form you can imagine where it's all based on like the principles, there's still things you can do to make it look a certain way, to make it look better than it did five seconds before. And so I always think that's quite an interesting challenge to have as a designer. And if you're shying away from that challenge, I think that's the mark of a not as good designer. I won't say bad designer. I think that's the mark of a not as good designer who's not willing to take that challenge on because that's, I think, where a lot of the interesting challenges come from is here are the constraints. In this case, it has to be extremely usable. Yeah. Um, How do you make it look great? I really like this because it's giving you a set of steps to follow, whereas it sounds like a lot of people maybe skip the first couple steps and just go right to the beauty, the brief part, as you said. Hmm. And the challenge is... I mean, this kind of reminds me of writing, like writers, they don't write the the perfect paragraph the first time, especially like think about nonfiction or something where they're trying to be accurate about information. It's going to be messy. It's just going to be kind of a accumulation of like facts and information, probably the first go at how they write it. But then they add, they go through and they revise and add more clarity and make it sound good and like tons of revisions mm-hmm. happen with writing. I think the same thing is with design, but maybe we start, some people have a tendency to start at a different point in that process where they sort of skip the messier part and just go right to like how clean and beautiful they want it to look. And so they're missing out on that usability aspect. Yeah. You need a strong foundation for sure. And uh, it's clear that a lot of designers are building their house on sand, (laughs) visually speaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did, I I realized as I was writing this, I came across an interesting situation in my mind where, and I think this comes back to a point we made earlier, if you've got a really strong sort of visual language you want to communicate because of your branding, for example, or maybe it's a one-off project, but if there's a really strong visual style you want to go for, then I guess it's always going to be the case that sometimes that style just isn't a very usable style. I've been in quite a few situations where I'm giving advice or I'm working on it myself and just the the branding guidelines don't really allow for good contrast. Or if you do choose the two highest contrast colors, for example, they just look awful together. And so it's often the case you need to move away from the brand more and more because you're making something that's useful rather than just something that looks good. Recently, I advised that someone just use like a, a plain black and a plain white as their base colors and only pull in one brand color from the set of, let's say, six they were given. Because actually, if they tried to use all six, it ended up looking not good. The contrast was bad. It didn't have a good overall effect. Yep. So yeah, I think that's one challenge is that sometimes you're working with people who have a very strong visual style they're going, they're aiming to achieve and um, trying to convince them to use less of that visual style is probably not not in their best interest. And so it's going to be mm. a hard one. But, uh, but maybe that's another case where you could show them alternative. You could say, I think this still looks like our brand, but I've pulled back in some places where we actually need stronger contrast colors, maybe like form fields, for example. And, uh, or maybe we're not using the display font for all of the button labels. That would be uh, a bad thing. We're using a standard sans serif. Uh-huh. And m- maybe they're still happy with how it looks. I mean, I, I guess you have to be just as strong a visual designer as they are to get them to respect your efforts. But maybe you could make something that is more usable but looks bad and then ask them to, how would you improve this? You know, engage them in tweaking something you provide rather yeah. than criticizing something they provide. Definitely like that angle. Uh, and the last point I made uh, wrote down was that uh, generally, if you focus on how it looks, you've traded the long-term satisfaction of a usable product 
for the short-term satisfaction of making it look good. And that's because you can enjoy something that looks good forever, but if it doesn't work well, I think that's always going to overtake you in terms of annoyance, always going to overtake how good it looks. And so you're always going to have that problem in the long term of, oh, wait, actually, this is not very fun to use, or it's really annoying. I don't understand how this works. People are having trouble converting on this form, whatever. So um, if you think about it in terms of short-term satisfaction versus long-term satisfaction, that might help because yeah. uh, the slightly less attractive but more usable form is probably always going to win in the long term. And like we say, you don't need to make it slightly less attractive, really. You could uh, just work a bit harder to make it look good. <laughs> yeah, I, that's a hard one, I think, um, depending on what it is we're talking about but and where you work. Again, a cultural thing, but oftentimes mm. we take short-term wins over long-term uh, quality, I guess. But yeah. it depends. Like if it's a landing page, does like if you think about like a marketing landing page form kind of situation where you actually are testing and seeing how it converts and the like more usable, less beautiful design is winning, like that that's your answer right there those are your results and the results don't lie so you kind of have you're forced to like reckon with that which i think is kind of interesting i'm not in marketing design at all but i'm sure that's something that comes up quite a bit in that world just seeing those metrics and yeah. how things convert must be nice if you have that sort of steady flow of yeah my my dad is a, a well he's retired now but he was a copywriter oh. and um he did direct response marketing and so they were looking for, you know, 0.1 of a percentage changes response to whatever they'd send out. And so it, he'd learned through testing and through all of the principles, you know, and he wrote about them. And he, he figured out sort of the right approach to take in terms of visual design over the years. They mm -hmm. find that, you know, a, a typewriter style typeface would get a better response in many situations over better looking typefaces, at least in printed material. Is and this so like direct, relatively... like mail stuff? Yeah, back then it was through the Paper. post, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, he was doing a lot of things like magazine inserts. So if you buy a magazine and they want to try and convince you to subscribe, that was generally his focus. And after that, I worked for a copywriter. And so copywriters do a lot of really ugly stuff because it converts better. And so that's wow. like the other extreme existence in terms of, no, if we make it look good, it's going to tank our conversion. And here's the stats to prove it. So we're not even going to consider using a good looking sans serif. We're going to use this courier new that we've been using for 15 years because people really respond to it that's strange so, um, i don't know how to respond to that because it sort yeah, of throws everything put, out the window yeah just put one of those people in the room with um <laughs> with the designer and they'll probably wear them down because they're quite uh fanatical about the style choices yeah like isn't is there an argument ever that like quality and beauty should overtake conversion i think that's kind of could be like an entire episode probably <laughs> But. Well, I mean, things like word of mouth, you get, um, I'd argue there are a couple of popular products on the market today that got where they are partly because people talked about them and that's partly because they look good. Mm. So it's sort of like there's a, a prestige element. Uh, I don't have proof of that, but um, if you look at design Twitter, for example, you definitely see some products have a lot of hype around them. Yeah. And often those products look good. You know, they've spent a lot of time on their marketing website. So that, yeah, there's probably some correlation there, but it's always hard to prove. That just makes me think about Instagram because there's so many like of these dropship brands that mm. like for physical goods that are dropship brands. So it's all just rebranding of cheap kind of things. But if they have like incredible 
design and presence on Instagram and some kind of fancy brand, it's like it helps them probably convert more, which I guess they can measure. But so it's a little bit different than word of mouth, but it's not quality. Yeah. It's just a copy of other things. I wouldn't be surprised if the people who, if you are working as a copywriter, for example, in a direct response sort of line of business, or if you're working in marketing design, I suspect it's not so much a problem there because the culture is shifted around the fact that some people have the knowledge that makes the money. And so if you're the expert on conversion, or if you're in charge of deciding what will convert, what won't convert through testing, then probably you're already sitting above the person who's doing the visual design mm -hmm. uh, because you're the sort of the, the money maker, as it were, <laughs> and so asking people like, yeah, make it look good, but this has to be this way. And uh, I don't care that it's ugly because we found that it converts. Yes. Oh, yeah. You just sparked like a memory for me <laughs> in, in my last job because conversion was like one of the main things we measured in our product at CarGurus. Um, and conversion was mm. filling out a form. So kind of ties it back to like the original conversation about this. But um, oftentimes it was the like – trying to change that form design which was um mad lib style do you know what that is where yeah, you're it's like a like sentence, a sentence yeah. yeah like we could never get around that because it always converted better than like a nice looking form with form fields and labels um so i guess it happens outside of marketing too it happens in products all the time and you sort of have to reckon with it as a designer which oftentimes means leave <laughs> find a job where you can design pretty forms the answer to everything <laughs> find a new job yep easy in this market yeah our old company the uh the marketing site got a complete redesign and it performed worse across the board wow. it definitely looked better it, it might have just been change maybe there's like a, a shock element yeah, yeah change or something but then the conversions are generally sort of one-off. People were signing up for demos. It's hard to believe that it was much of that because I doubt many people were coming there two, three, four times and then deciding and suddenly it was a new website and so they were completely against it and they just closed it immediately. <laughs> it's got to so be that disappointing. Must have been tough for the marketing team. Yeah, I can't so, imagine. You know, the designer who put it together must not have been happy with themselves. That's like a throw your laptop out the window moment. Just like, I give up. I don't know. <laughs> I made it look good. Converted worse. I give up. <laughs> yep. Oh, cool. Well, I think that's all we've got for this topic. Um, hopefully that <laughs> answers the question a little bit or gives some ideas basically on how to manipulate people into thinking that your idea is the correct way to go. Um, I think in some cases, just hearing people talk about this idea and confirming that, yeah, it's, it's going to be a nightmare no matter what. Yeah. Um, might help because I suspect a lot of people are in a similar situation, if not this exact one. Yes. So take solace in knowing it affects all of us. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this week's episode and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye.